Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Happy New Year. That's where you're supposed to, like, clap and, you know, like, go crazy, you know. We... But you know, it's weird, it's really weird because this year it's on the 6th, that we've been in it for so long it doesn't feel like a new year, but this is obviously the first service that we've had in 2020. There's a, it's, there's a, uh, it's good to see people here this morning. Last week, uh, a lot of people were traveling, and um, maybe you don't know this, but last week I celebrated a birthday, uh, my 50th birthday. So if you're excited about that, raise your hand. Uh, well, why didn't you give me anything? Like, I, I'm still taking gifts. Uh, I'm not past that. Uh, Visa gift cards are great gifts to give. But uh, we've had several people in our congregation uh, reach 50. The Twitties actually within the same month of each other. I think uh, Steve Linhart, uh, he, uh, he's a little older than me. Uh, he, he got older a few weeks or months ahead of me. But, you know, uh, people... Everybody kept coming up to me after the service going, man, you've reached a great milestone. And I don't know if people were trying to encourage me, but, you know, they're saying things like, man, you're as old as dirt. You know, it's, uh, somebody told me, you know, it's all downhill from here. Somebody told me, man, you're halfway there. I'm like, what does that mean? Like, living on a prayer, you know. So, but, you know, as you get older, and especially reaching a milestone like 50, you have to ask the question, who am I? And, I? and I asked this question. I said, you know, I wonder if I'm going to go through a midlife crisis. And then I thought, I wonder if I'm actually in one. <laughs> like, what if I'm in a midlife crisis? I haven't bought a new vehicle yet, okay, a new sports car. My marriage is great. You know, I'm, I'm fulfilled in what God is, has called me to do. But I'm like, I wonder if, you know, I'm going to go through one or if I'm already in one. And so, like any good student, I went online and went to Google. I do know how to use Google, okay? Yes, I do. And I typed in midlife crisis. And after studying this for a little while I, I, and doing a little bit of research, I came up with this list of um, diagnostic uh, descriptions uh, to help you diagnose if you're going through a midlife crisis. Now... I don't know how helpful this really was to me after I did it, but I want to share it with this congregation to see if you might be experiencing a midlife crisis. So here we go. Signs of a, of a midlife crisis. Number one, you're gaining or losing weight. Number two, you're apathetic. Number three, you're jealous of other people. Four, you're experiencing unusual physical pain. Number five, you're asking deep, probing questions. Number six, you're making rash decisions. Seven, you feel like you're slowly losing your mind. Eight, your vision of the future is dismal. Nine, you're constantly bored. Ten, you're, you become overly concerned about your appearance. And 11, and I don't know why I did 11, but I just like this last one. You feel a need for adventure and change. And, you know, if this is a list 
If this is a list of what you experience when you're in a midlife crisis, then mine began back when I was in middle school. Can you put that list back up? I mean, I have been able to relate to every single one of these things since I was in middle school, especially the one about uh, making rash decisions, right? I'm, and I've been jealous of pe- I mean, I can go through the whole list. And I remember back when I was in my mid-20s. It's not been that long. I can still remember that. But I was talking to my boss who was in his mid-40s. And he said, you know, James, there's something about life that as you are in your 20s and 30s, you're just kind of going through life, uh, going with the flow, just kind of enjoying it. And then when you hit 40, something happens. It's like you turn back and you go, wait, what? whoa, 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 whoa. What have I been doing with my life? all these years. And at that time, you begin to ask, has my life mattered? Now, he told me that when I was in my mid-20s, and that has helped me to, uh, to guide the way that I've lived my life. But even still, there is still that nagging voice that I can hear in my heart that says, what, James, have you accomplished with your life? And has your life mattered? That is something that I want to know. Um, That's something that I need to know, that my life has counted for something. And, you know, this is a universal struggle and desire. This isn't something new with just 50-year-olds. This is something that has been around since man, thousands of years ago. Because, you know, I was reading in uh, Psalm 90 last week. This is written by Moses. He, He wrote it thousands of years ago. And basically, he starts the, the psalm by saying, God, you are eternal. You, you, there's, there's no one like you. You're eternal. You're everlasting. And then he points, comes back to himself. He goes, but we're like, we return to the dust. If we're doing good, we'll reach the, our 80s. We'll live 80 years. And he says, you know, we, we are uh, so transient. But then in verse 12, he says this. He prays this. So teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. In other words, he understands. He must have been in his 50s when he wrote this. He understands that life is short and that he wants to make sure that the life that he lives, because he loves God, is a life of wisdom. He goes on in verse 16 to say, let your work Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. In other words, God, you are eternal. So I want to see what your works are. I want my children to see your glory so I know where to put my hand to work. And then in verse 17, he says, Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us. And and I love this. He says, And establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now, when when you see something repeated in the Bible, understand that it's not being repeated for no reason. It's because the person repeating it is wanting to make a point. This is a deep longing and a deep yearning in Moses. He is saying, God, I want whatever I do to count. I want whatever my hands take hold of. I want it to count. I want it to matter into eternity. And this is the the desire of all of us. 
And you know, I was recently, uh, since it's the Christmas season, a lot of you college students went home and some of the college students that went away have come home and I was talking to one of them and I said, so how did your semester go? They said, great. I said, what are you majoring in? And they gave me their major. Now, this is, I don't know what's happened to majors, but when I was going to school, it's like, I'm going to be a doctor. I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a teacher or, or whatever. Now, when I ask someone um, what their major is, it's always something that my brain just can't latch onto. It's like, I'm, in, I'm studying anthro anthropological hermeneutics with a minor in biological social equilibrium. <laughs> Can you relate? I'm like, my face is all like, oh, cool. I always say cool after that. And then I ask, what, what can you do with that major after you get out? And uh, this individual actually told me some things that were, were really cool. And I was like, okay, I can see that. And then he said, he said this, but I'm still trying to figure it out. I'm still trying to figure it out. That is the telltale sign that someone desires to live a life of significance. And uh, whether this person realized it or not, uh, he was saying that as, my, as I'm heading forward in life, I want to make sure that whatever I do is meaningful, that my life makes an impact, that I live with true significance. And, you know, that's a good thing. That is a good thing to desire that because that's how God created us. We are his precious creation. We've been created in his image and so we need to adequately know how to answer that question. Otherwise, we will flounder around, we'll be visionless, and we will wander about aimlessly. We'll wander about aimlessly. And maybe you've heard the saying, all who wander are not lost, but all who, lost will, who, all who are lost will wander. And that's a tragic thing. That's a tragic thing to go through life wandering aimlessly. And that is not what God desires for his creation. And that's not what Jesus desires for his disciples. And so today's passage speaks on the topic of living a life with meaning, not just in this life, but also in the life to come. And you know, John 15, that's our passage today. John 15 is a, it should be, a familiar passage, Reach Life Church. If you've been in Reach Life Church, you know we've already been here. This isn't something new. We've already preached on this. We've already been here. And by God's grace, we will be here again at another date. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, the writer of Hebrews says this, we must pay closer attention, closer attention to what we have heard, lest we what? drift away, lest we drift away. And I've said this a million times to this congregation, we are sheep, we are forgetful sheep, aren't we? We are forgetful sheep. We tend to wander away from the truth, and we need to be brought back. And, and John chapter 15, the words of Jesus, now these are the words of Jesus. They have a way of bringing us back and bringing things back into focus when, when life gets blurry. And at the beginning of, of 2020, hopefully this passage will help us as a church, as disciples, to get our focus back on what does it mean to live a meaningful life. And if you remember this passage, this is the last hours of Jesus's life. He's just shared um, the Last Supper, a meal with his disciples. 
He is getting ready to go to the cross and return to the Father. But before he does, the good shepherd gathers his sheep around him. He gathers them to prepare them, to encourage them. And in verses 1 through 17, like we saw earlier, Jesus uses the imagery of a branch, branches, and a vine. And this is to illustrate two types of lives. Two types of lives are being illustrated by Jesus. Number one, the life that has eternal purpose. And number two is the life that doesn't. It's that simple. Either you have eternal purpose or you don't. And Jesus says it this way in verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. It's the picture of two lives, one that is eternally prosperous and one that is not, one that remains and one that perishes. Later in verse 8, he says, By this my Father is glorified. Here's how my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. Jesus is for, is for us. Jesus is for his disciples. We know the familiar verse, his words, I have come that they might, that they might have life and have it abundantly. And so he explains that there is one thing, there is one thing in life that determines whether or not your life is one of eternal purpose, and that is whether or not your life glorifies God. At the end of the day, at the end of your life, that is the one thing you have to ask, did my life glorify God? And true disciples glorify God by bearing much fruit. And as most of you know, if you've been in our church for a while, you know that we are a church that seeks to value discipleship. We have a mission statement at our church that, that's meant to help keep us on track, that, that's meant to help keep us focused to our mission. And let's say this together. Changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. That is the mission statement. Now, in that mission statement, there is something that is implied. It's not written there, but there's something that is implied. In order to make, in order to grow, in order to unleash gospel-centered disciples, first, you must be. You must be a disciple. And that's, that's something that I want to zero in on this morning, about what does it mean to be? In other words, you need to be before you do. We need to be before we do. And, and please don't miss what I'm saying here, because if, if this morning you are sitting where you're at and you came in here and you said, how can I live a life of impact, of eternal impact that has purpose and meaning, a life that echoes throughout eternity, then according to Jesus, these are his words. He says, you must be his disciple. You must be his fruit-bearing disciple. 
And you might be asking, well, James, are you saying that if, if I'm not a, a true disciple of Jesus, that I can't do anything that is meaningful? And I would actually say, no, not at all. Because as I said earlier, we were created in the image of God. We bear his image. Although it's been marred, although it's been broken at the fall, we still bear his image and we're able to do things that are good. And, and, and we're also able to reap from those things in this life. For example, you can have a happy family. You can raise a happy family. You can care for the environment. You can run in 5Ks and raise uh, awareness for good causes like cancer research and things like that. You can go out and rescue abandoned kittens. That might not be a good thing, but you can do that. You can drill wells so that you can have clean water in a third world, world country or, or, or fight against sex trafficking or, or whatever the, the good thing is. You could also go into a, a burning house to save somebody that you don't even know, to lay your life down selfless, selflessly. It is possible to do that. And there is great joy and fulfillment in living a life of sacrifice. And the scary thing is, is that you can do all of that apart from being a disciple of Jesus. You can do it in your own strength. But according to Jesus, if you do that, if you do things apart from him, without him, then in the end, he says that your good works will count for nothing. Those are the words of our Savior. He says in verse 5, for apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm going to add something to the end of that, which I think it brings clarity. Apart from me, you can do nothing of eternal significance. So we can do things in this life that are meaningful. But what we want to ask is once we get past this life, did what we do, does what we do matter into eternity? And so as we begin 2020 this year, I am starting this year by focusing in on what it means to be, to be a true disciple of Jesus. Why? Because there's this danger. There is this danger that we need to be aware of as, as individuals and as a body of Christ. We can be a church. We can be disciples that manufacture and produce fruit. Or we can be a branch that bears it. Manufacturing it, producing it from our own strength. Or producing it by abiding in Christ. It comes down to whether we're going to be disciples or act like disciples. And there is a difference in that. This week, um, I was talking to someone that came over to my house to work on, on something, and I found out that he goes to another church, a local church in the area. And as we were talking, we started talking about discipleship and being a disciple. And he said to me, yeah, I'm, re I'm trying really hard. I'm trying really hard to be one. I'm trying to be, and he said this, he said, I'm trying to be a good person. I'm trying to love others and to do what is right. And as I was listening to him, I just got this sense that he was not abiding 
in Christ. That he was not abiding in Jesus, allowing the fruit to be produced through him. But he was trying to manufacture the fruit himself through his own strength. And, and you know, that's a horrible, that's a horrible way to live. Coming to Jesus, looking at him, seeing what he requires, and then going, okay, I'm going to do it. You know, when, you, when we live like that, and I know that, you know, we can have the tendency to live like that even after we are true disciples. So that's why I'm talking to our church this morning about that. But coming to Christ and seeing all these rules and regulations, that's what they feel like. i got to be good. i got to love others. i got to be selfless. But you're doing it through your own strength. That is a horrible place to be. I don't know how many people I have talked to over the years who have, who have walked away because they said, that's not the kind of life I want to live because I can't live it. Now, you either walk away or you'll take the standard of God and you'll bring it down to a level that you can make it. And so the whole church brings it down to this level, and we never go anywhere. We never grow beyond where we're at. God holds a standard that's way up here that none of us can obtain by ourselves. Apart from me, Jesus says, you can do nothing. And, you know, at the end of the day, the question that we've got to ask is, who gets the glory? Who gets the glory when we are living like, when we are producing and manufacturing fruit on our own strength? Who gets the glory? I do. Look what I did, God. But who gets the glory when it's produced through Christ by abiding in him? God does. And that is the proof of a true disciple. So, how do we know if we are true disciples? Well, Jesus answers that question in John 8, verse 31. He says it very clearly. He says this. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, or who had believed him, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Okay, the question we're asking is, what is a true disciple? Jesus says a true disciple is someone that what? abides in my word. And then back in John 15, 6, he says, if anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. It can't get any clearer than that. True disciples of Jesus abide in Jesus. True disciples of Jesus abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. So what does that word abide mean? That's important. Because there are those who are false who do not. So what does it mean to abide? Well, abiding in Christ means that you fully receive Jesus, the person of Jesus, the living Jesus. You receive Jesus and his word. You hold on to him. You embrace, you cling to him. I'm not talking about embracing an idea about Jesus. I'm not talking about reaching a Christ consciousness. I'm not even talking about just following his words, his rules and regulations. We're talking about a living person who has died for our sins, who is raised from the dead, who has ascended in heaven, who is in this room right now. 
and is aware of all of our thoughts, all of our situations. And when we come to him, when we, when we receive him, we come to him and say, Jesus, you are the way. You are the truth. You are my life. And I lay my life at your feet. I believe in you. I, in, I fully entrust my life to you. I am no longer mine. I am going to abide in, in you. And th- this means that as you're making life decisions, as you're making life choices and setting life goals, you're looking first to Jesus. You're looking to him to lead and to guide and to direct you as you seek to understand what he thinks about certain topics. What does he think about your sexuality? What does he think about the person that you are wanting to date? What does he think, in, what does he think about the way that you spend your money? What does he think about the way that we spend our time? When we abide in him, what we're saying is, Lord, you are everything. I believe you are life, and I'm trusting you to lead me and to whatever, wherever you lead, whatever you say. You are the one that determines where I go. True disciples of Jesus abide in Jesus. So, how do you know if you're abiding in Jesus? That's a question we need to ask ourselves. How do you know? It's not enough just to know. How can you measure yourself? Well, Jesus says that true disciples of Jesus bear much fruit. John 5 Uh, 15.5 says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. He doesn't say you might. You will. And I've used this example before, but if you go jump in a swimming pool, you will get wet unless it's empty. Verse 8, again, he says, by this my Father is glorified. By this my Father is glorified. Or by this, this is how my Father is revealed. This is how my, my Father is made known. That you bear much fruit. And so prove. The proof that you're a disciple is that you bear fruit that glorifies the Father. How do you know if you're truly abiding How do you know that the the vine sap of Jesus is running through your veins? Here's how you know. Look at your life. Not just in public, but in private. Because false branches are good in public, right? We all can can be good in public, but it's where are you at privately? Does anyone other than God, and he knows everything, does anyone else know about your struggles in private? That right there is the proof of whether or not you're abiding in Christ. Because if you abide in Christ, it bears fruit. And one of those fruits is that you become transparent. You're not hiding your sin anymore. That's what the power of the cross does. 
for a believer. That's why it's important to abide, because it's no longer you doing it. It's the power of Christ in you, freeing you up to become transparent. Now, I want to define what fruit is, because that's important too, isn't it? What, what does the fruit look like? Does it mean that we, we run around and, and scream, Jesus is Lord? It might, but that's not all. In God's economy, being fruitful has little to do with or, or anything to do with how much you accomplish in this world or what you acquire, okay? Now, that's something that's hard to get a grasp of because we, are, we want to see that what we're doing is, doing is producing something. That's a natural thing to do, but we're called to walk by faith. It's not about that, but it's more about bearing fruit or the fruit is, has everything to do with who are you becoming like? Who are you becoming like more and more? Because you're going to, as it's been said before, you're going to become like the one that you follow. You're going to become like the one that you follow, and you're going to become like that which you worship. You're going to become like that which you set your gaze upon, your eyes upon, which is good news. This is good news because, listen, you can be laying in a hospital bed and bear fruit. Amen, Sherry? Hey, it's good to have Sherry with us this morning. Um, she's definitely an example of what it means to abide and to bear fruit, right? Um, I could say a whole, I could preach the rest of my message on that. That's right. <laughs> but it's about gazing. What is your gaze upon? What have you set your gaze upon? 2 Corinthians 3.18, Paul says, And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, I love this part, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. When we abide in Jesus, when we behold or gaze upon his glory. Paul says that we're transformed one degree, one step at a time. And you know, abiding is simple, okay? But it's not easy. It is simple, but it's not easy. It takes work on our part. And that work is that we gaze and we set our eyes upon not our trials, not our problems. Now, does that mean that we act like we have no problems and no trials? No. We acknowledge our trials. We acknowledge our problems. We, and we bring them and we lay them at the feet of Jesus. And when we gaze at Jesus, when we gaze at God, we see that his power is greater than our problems and than our trials. So we, we don't go around acting like we don't have trials, but we bring them to the Lord, and as we gaze upon the Lord, it puts everything else in the proper perspective. And Jesus comes to us, and Jesus comes to us, and he says, listen, I left heaven. I came down to earth. I have come 
that you might have life. And, and he calls us to himself. He says, come to me if you're weary, if you're tired of trying to make sense of life. Come to me. He says, come follow me. He says, come and abide in me. Set your gaze upon me and I'll give you eternal purpose and meaning. What does it mean, though, to gaze upon Jesus? What does it mean to behold his glory? Well, I love what Milton Vincent says. He says, but where do I find God's glory to behold? Indeed, the glory of God is revealed throughout all of creation, but the Bible indicates that outside of heaven, the glory of God in its thickest density dwells inside the gospel. Consequently, as I habitually gaze upon the glory of the Lord revealed in the gospel, I can know that actual deposits, I love this, I can know that actual deposits of God's very glory are attaching themselves to my person and transforming me from one level of glory to another. This transformation is deep and abiding and unfadingly displays the glory of God to others. So abiding involves gazing upon the glory of Jesus that's found in the gospel, fixing our eyes upon the suffering Savior. Fixing our eyes upon the suffering Savior awakens our love for Jesus. John Stott once wrote, The cross is the blazing fire at which the flame of our love is kindled, but we have to get near enough for its sparks to fall on us. So if we are going to gaze upon his glory, that means that we have to be in his word. We've got to allow the word of Christ to dwell in us richly so that our minds will be renewed, will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And what I want to do this morning is just give six gospel-centered disciplines this morning, some practical ways that we can get close to the fire of the cross so that its sparks will fall on us. And these are areas that we can practice. They don't give us righteousness, but they do stir up the truths of the gospel. They help to cultivate a love for Jesus. And I want to just be clear that the, these six things that I want to share are things that I'm still growing in, things that I struggle in. Uh, these, I don't want you to feel overwhelmed this morning by this list. You might want to just take one part of this and begin practicing it. But here are six uh, practical self, uh, gos self-help, no, gospel-centered disciplines. <laughs> Number one is this, study the Gospels. Study the Gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. This is the actual accounts of Jesus' ministry here on earth. Study them slowly, not to get through them, but to see Jesus, to see his glory. Sit down in front with the crowds as he is teaching. Try to hear with the same ears that they heard from. And when you get to the cross, slow down. Slow down. Hang out around the cross. Listen to what Jesus says. Listen to his heart. Study the Gospels. 
A second thing that we can do is that we can read gospel-centered books, books that point us to the cross, books that help us to see the glory of Jesus on the cross. uh, Three books that I want to recommend are Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ by John Piper, A Gospel Primer by Milton Vincent. That's That's the quote that I read earlier um, about gazing upon his glory. And then the, the third one is The Cross of Christ by John Stott. These are not by any means the only books available, but these are three that I can recommend to you. They can help get your mind thinking about the work of Christ. Uh, a third thing that we can do is listen to gospel-centered music. Listen to songs that specifically talk about Jesus' sacrifice, about his burial, about his resurrection. I hope that when you come in here on Sunday mornings that you notice that that is one of our goals. We want to be a a body that sings and, and, and proclaims the work of Jesus through music. Another thing that we need to learn to do is that we need to be around, and we're already doing it right now, we need to be around gospel centered disciples. Be around somebody that understands what it means to be centered on the gospel. How do you know if they're gospel-centered? Look at their life. Okay, that, that's, a, that's a good indicator. Are they abiding in Christ? Are they bearing fruit? Are they a life that you want to emulate? And do they talk about the work of Jesus? We want to be, all of us be disciples. But surround yourself with people who are enthralled, who are overcome by the glory of Christ found in the gospel. Another one, number five, is to preach the gospel to yourself on a regular basis. We spend so much time, be aware of this, we, we spend so much time listening to ourselves instead of preaching to ourselves. And if we, would, we will learn to share the gospel to ourselves that Christ died for our sins. That simple truth right there, if we will break it down and go into it and preach it to ourselves, what does that mean when we're dealing with other trials? Knowing that Christ died for us, that he loves us, that he was buried and that he's coming back again, but that he rose from the dead. Him being alive means that he wants to empower us through whatever we're dealing with. But we can pray that. We can preach that to ourselves. And then, and then the last one is this, share your faith with others. Share it. And this is what I want to ask Reach Life Church. I want to ask, and I, and I hope that we will continue to bring this before one another this year. Is there anyone in your life right now that you're reaching out to that does not know Jesus? Has God put anyone in your life that does not know Jesus and that we would grow in sharing the gospel. And here's why this is, this is one of the disciplines that will help you grow. Because in order to share something, you must be able to articulate it. And in order to articulate it, you're going to study it more so that you can share what Jesus has done for you. Those are six disciplines that, that we can all uh, do individually and corporately. And as, as I'm closing, the question that I want to ask is this. What, what would it look like Or what does it look like when a church pursues gazing upon the glory of Christ? What does it look like when a church is being 
the church and not acting like the church. Read the book of Acts. It's on fire, right? When we, if you read the book of Acts, they got what Jesus had done for them. And it says, well, let me look at, let's look at verse 17 of of John 15. It says, these things I command you. What did he command in this passage? He says, abide in me so that you will love one another. As we abide individually, as we abide corporately, something's going to happen, and it's already happening, but it's going to be even greater. The Spirit of Christ does something in, amongst the people where we, we literally love one another in ways that are not humanly possible. We lay our lives down, not so someone will pat us on the back, but we want God to be glorified. And um, in closing, I want to give an opportunity to this church. I want to give some opportunities, share some opportunities that we have in order to love one another. And, And I want you to understand that my motivation is not to get up here and guilt trip you into doing anything. My motivation is to motivate us by the work of Christ. And so I've got, in the back here, we have a table. And after the service, um, once it's dismissed, we have some sign-up sheets. And I want to share some some, uh, opportunities that we have to love and to bear fruit in. And one of them is something new that I want us to look at this year. And that is a transportation team. Now, God has put things into our hands, hasn't he? for us to use, to enjoy, and to share. Did you know that we have several people on a weekly basis asking, hey, I want to come to Reach Life Church, but I don't have a way to get there. And we just need somebody to to see their vehicle and to see what Christ has done. Say, you know what, I want to take this vehicle and I want to use it to pick up this person, pick them up and take them home. So if you're interested, there's a sign-up sheet in the back for the transportation team. Um, Host home team. This is a a place, if you own a house or you have an apartment or something that you would like to open up to be used from time to time by Reach Life Church, you you want to practice hospitality. Uh, There's a sign-up sheet for that. We want to, beginning in February, have a, one of the things we want to do is have a monthly young adult college-age student lunch after every uh, once a month after the service. And we need homes, host homes in order to do that. That's just one example of how a host home will be used. And the third one, and I've, we're gonna, you can see all the list here, but the third one that I really want to highlight is Reach Kids. Reach Kids. As I said, our church values making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. And one of those ways that we want to do that is when our children are young. We want to teach them the glories of Christ when they're young. And so we're asking that you would get that vision, that we would have that vision, that this church is making disciples in our very, under our roof already, in our very midst, we have young future disciples. And so if you are interested in, if you're a lady and you're interested in being a part of that ministry, uh, and you're not a part of it yet, just ask that you would sign up. And you can see the, the rest of the list here that if you are interested in being a part, plugging in. Now, 
These things that I'm sharing are just the inward part of our church. This isn't the only place that we are sharing the gospel, that we're growing in the gospel, that we're being disciples. But these are very tangible ways that I wanted us to look at today. And if you feel that God is, is leading you to, to do that, I ask that you would uh, consider that. But you know, this, this year, 2020, that one of the main things that I see God moving us in and growing us in is, is the care and the love and relationships with one another. And we want to continue to grow in that. And so that's why I wanted to start this Sunday off by talking about what does it mean to be a disciple? What does it mean to live with eternal purpose? And that can only happen when we abide in Christ. And when we do that, we will bear much fruit. Amen? Amen. Amen.